Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. As I start off this morning, I have to just completely confess to you. From Thursday on, I have never been more anxious about standing up here. Anxious and ensuring that what I say is right. Anxious not in condemning or attacking, but anxious in unifying the church of Jesus Christ around the gospel, but also around a recognition that as the church, we've got a really poor witness in the world. You know, as we think about these events, I know, I know each one of you is at a different place. I had the chance this week to talk about f- to five or six different people who were processing. And if you don't know, you know what I've realized too? Not everyone is connected to current events, and that's okay. You may not know about Thursday and what happened and the events and all of the images, and so maybe you're catching up just a little bit. But in talking to people this week, There are those who are saddened, who are grieving. And to you, we want to say we love you. This is a place for you to express that grief and sadness and to know that that this is a place where we are going to care well for each other. But in that sadness, recognize there are people next to you who are angry, who are frustrated, who want to take action. And there's also those maybe online or across this community that, frankly, they're ready to leave the church. That as you may be sad and grieving about what you lost or angry, there are those that are saying the church does not represent Jesus Christ in the way that Jesus should be represented. And they are ready to walk away. And it doesn't And as the church, you know, one of the things that's so important is that we meet people where they are. You know, I think there's a privilege as a pastor that I have to listen. (laughs) I have to. When we have coffee and you say, hey, Jason, let's get together, and I love that. If you ever want to do that, please. And you're struggling through something, I I just sit there and I listen and I hear your opinions. And there's something beautiful about sitting in front of somebody And I may not hold the same views. I may not be grieving. I may not be angry. I may not be in those categories. But in listening to someone else, you you truly start to understand what they value. And you start to see that there's some commonality between you. And you're really not that different. And the truth is, what we're addressing this day is not about who you vote for. It's not about what you believe about this election It has really nothing to do with a political slogan or a political agenda or a platform. It's about raising the banner and the authority of Jesus as a brand to support a political ideology. It is about raising the name of Jesus to the level that it becomes a brand that supports an agenda, that supports a person, that supports a movement. Jesus isn't a brand. 
There is only one banner under which the church gathers, and that is that Jesus is Lord and he bows to none. And as a church and as a pastor, as I reflected on what I saw on Thursday, that's what I'm angry about. I'm not angry at a political rally. It's going to happen. I'm frustrated by the violence, but I'm angry that on national television, before a watching world, it looked more like a religious gathering than it did a political event. And if anything was tarnished on that day, it was the name of Jesus. You know, as I was reflecting this week and watching these images, you know, one of the things that has helped me so much is that the Lord has taught me to memorize books of the Bible. And as I, I watch things, there are verses that just come to my mind. And there's one in James. And this week it was really the book of James um, over and over. And he says, you know, God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Turn your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Bergen Park Church, humble yourselves before the Lord. Listen, he is the one who lifts up. You know, as we gather this morning, we want the wisdom that is, first of all, pure and peace-loving, considerate and submissive, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace, they will raise a harvest of righteousness. But see, where there is friendship with the methods and the ways of the world, there you will find selfish ambition and every evil distraction. As the church of Jesus Christ, we not only represent the message of Jesus, we represent the method and the life of Jesus. And as we begin this morning, we're going to jump into a passage. I'm going to take a little time just to process a few things. But I want to start just simply by praying the Lord's Prayer together. And because we all come from different traditions and backgrounds, I've kind of given you the words from Matthew chapter 6 out of the ESV. And this is going to guide us as we Invite our Father to teach us this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, I pray today, in Jesus' name, let your kingdom come. And Father, let your will be done. Over those of us who are grieving and hurting, let your kingdom come. And Father, let your will be done. Over those in our country who are angry Father, those who may even rightfully at times blame the church, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Father, over President Trump, over President-elect Biden, we pray in Jesus' name, let your kingdom come. Not our will, but your will 
be done. Father, over those elected officials who are going to have to take the mess of this week, would you let your kingdom come and would you let your will be done? Father, over those who have, who have lost lives due to these events and other events like it, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Father, over the Capitol Police, who I imagine will be criticized and supported in so many different ways and scrutinized and shamed and guilt, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And in this moment, as we live as apprentices, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Meet us here, we ask in Jesus' name. January 6, 2021, just six days in. I hoped it was going to be a, a whole lot better. But what is, what is that day, what, what is it going to mean? I, I imagine for decades to come, the events of that day, the influences of that day, it, it's going to be studied. And I want to share right now that in my own thoughts, I'm, I'm pretty raw. Having a couple days simply to sit in it and to think about what it means and, and what needs to be addressed. I want you to know I'm not a prophet. I'm not perfect. I can get things wrong. But in studying that day and the events and listening to a number of people, I think we have to ask the question, what really happened on that day? What was that day specifically about? Was it just a political event? Was it about a fraud? Was it about a controversy? Was it about individuals who were angry and simply wanted to take control? What was that, what was that day about? You know, I don't know if you realize this, but in the church calendar, January 6 is called Epiphany. It ends the 12 days of Christmas when all the birds are given out. And I don't know why you'd want to give birds as a gift, but the end of the 12 days don't lead up to Christmas. They're actually after Christmas, and it comes together around Epiphany. And Epiphany is the story of the wise men, the Gentiles, the unbelieving world, bringing gold and frankincense and myrrh and laying it down at the feet of Jesus as they bowed under the banner of Jesus as Lord in, and worshiped him. The, the story of the epiphany is that Jesus is the light to the world, that the savior of the world is the savior of the world and the world is invited to gather at his feet. Now, the challenge is the story of the Old Testament is the story really how Israel failed to be a light unto the nations. Why did they fail? Because they trusted in political might instead of trusting in the promises of their God. Over and over and over and over, God said, do not trust in chariots, Stop trusting in horses. Stop putting your faith in the Assyrians. Stop trusting in the nations. Stop trusting in your military power. Trust in me. And every time God said, trust in me, he took them to a place of weakness. And they said, this is never going to work. I can't walk in with 10 guys against an army. 
This isn't how the way of the world works, but the way of God confounds the way of the world. And Israel, time and time again, instead of trusting the ways of God, they polluted themselves to the ways of the world. And the challenge is the unbelieving world was blocked from the glory of God. That's epiphany. Matthew is saying, come in. The Gentile leaders bow now at the feet of Jesus. It's a beautiful moment. That's January 6, 2021. And yet I wonder on January 6, 2021, if that isn't what the church has just done again. We have blocked the unbelieving world from seeing the glory of Jesus. That we have placed another stumbling block in the way of understanding who Jesus is and belief in the gospel. Now, what do I mean? I'm not speaking to who you voted for. That's not what this is about. It's not about what you believed about this election. That's not the discussion. What I'm addressing is an issue that, that didn't start on Thursday. It culminated. That decade after decade, the church has taken the banner that Jesus is Lord and we have bowed it under the, un, under the feet of our politicians. We have used the banner of Jesus and the name of Jesus as a brand to lift up a political leader and right alongside that, to promote this leader under the glory of God, that church is reprehensible. It is wrong. Why is it wrong? You communicate to an unbelieving world, this is what Christians look like. And inevitably, you have events like we had on Thursday. Events where banners Jesus saves. Events in which, a banner in which it says, Trump is my president and Jesus is my savior. What's wrong with that statement? It's not wrong because it's true. For some of you, that may be a true statement. But that is called idolatry. Why? You are equating two realities and you're saying each affirms the other. And in a sense, you are taking the greater and you're bowing it down before the lesser and you're saying to an unbelieving world to accept Jesus is to accept what happened on that day. Church, this is the fault of pastors and Christian leaders who frankly are afraid to speak up. We have wed our politics with our faith to such a deep degree that we don't see the difference. Jesus confronted the politics and the wisdom of his world, but Jesus doesn't confront our wisdom and our politics. Our politics, Jesus, fits perfectly in line with you. Something's wrong when Jesus isn't confronting us with our own idolatry, but we're taking Jesus to endorse the idolatry that we have. As a church, something's broken. What happened on that day was not about a political event. I'm not concerned about what was said so much or even individuals storming our capital, which is a horrible event. 
It's that the name of Jesus went with them. And as the unbelieving world watched, that was the banner that people saw. To believe in Jesus is to support this. And hear me, if there are those who are unbelievers in the world or in our community and they are angry at this church, they have a right to be. Because whether or not I agree with what happened or what those people did, I represent that Jesus. And therefore, I should be responsible to take their frustrations and hear them out. We are responsible to hear and to listen. Why? That's the character of your God. The character of a God who didn't win with violence. If anything, what we saw on that day was anti-Christ in its behavior. Because it's, it's fine to be a Christian and to be involved in politics. And I hope you don't walk away with it. That's not what I'm communicating. It's bringing the name of Jesus into something and endorsing it. And then looking at the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. The message of Jesus and the message of how we engage in our politics has to begin it's got to begin to start to change us and to see that the way we are representing Jesus is being submitted to, the, to our convictions in terms of our own political desires. And church, that's wrong. That's wrong. And in the church of Jesus Christ, that is something we have to address. Now, let me ask us, who are we as a church? You know, at a time like this, it, it's important to evaluate. I, and understand, I'm not blaming the people on that day. I'm not, I'm not disparaging them. I know a number of people who were there. I saw the pictures, and I'm not blaming them. I'm, a blame, I'm blaming us as the church and leaders like me who have allowed these two things to come together and have not said anything in part because we are afraid. Because when we speak up and address issues like this, the anger that comes against us and the labeling that we receive, it shuts us up. And most, most pastors across our country are going to take it easy this Sunday. I address this because I love you and I'm concerned about where the church of Jesus Christ is headed. Now, who are we as, as a church? Now, there's, there's a couple things I want us to, to look at. We're gonna jump into a passage in just a minute, but first of all, truth matters. Truth matters. And when I say that truth matters, again, what I'm addressing is it's not so much just what you believe about your politics or how you engage. It's the fact that I have so many conversations with people who are afraid to speak up and to confront something. Why? Because there is this moral imperative placed upon the church that if you do not simply support but have an excitement, if you criticize a political party or an agenda in any single way, then you're not Christian enough. And we are not evaluated by how we reflect Jesus or how we believe in Jesus. We're, we're, we're evaluated on the basis of how much we stand for a, a single political vote. And if you criticize it, then therefore you don't represent Jesus at all. That's that's a brokenness in the church when the church can't honestly have a discussion together. And the fact is, in this community, we are a diverse community. 
And you know what helps us to follow Jesus best? It's when your diversity hits my diversity. And I've got to humble that before the authority of Jesus Christ and say, what's most important here? You know, here's how Paul captured it. He said this as he described the gospel. He says, but we, this is 1 Corinthians 1, 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. That as the gospel went out in the first century world, it was offensive to the Jews and it was offensive to the Gentiles. And that offense was like a stumbling block. And the reality is the offense that happened in the first century is very different from the offense that happens today. In the first century, the Gentiles, the Jews, they believed in the supernatural. They believed in the judgment of God. The issues that we face today and answering our questions, realize when I sit down with somebody who's an unbeliever, I don't need another argument against the gospel. We've already got the virgin birth. We've got the, con the, the conception of a virgin and the Holy Spirit. We've got a God, man, divine who lived and walked this earth. We've got somebody who raised the dead and fed 5,000 and died for our sins and then rose again on the third day and is coming back to make all things right. There is enough stumbling blocks before us that the church should not be setting up more before an unbelieving world. Why? And for what? We are using the tools of the empire instead of submitting ourselves to the tools of the kingdom. When Peter got angry and he cut off the high priest's ear, was Jesus saying, hey, that's how we do it. That's how you get things done, Peter. That's how the kingdom of God moves. He says, no, Peter, put your sword back. You want me to raise up an army? I could do it in a heartbeat, church. I don't need your violence. I don't need your anger. I don't need your rage. I don't need your ha hatred. I need you to surrender to the Holy Spirit. God is at work, and his work will be done if we surrender ourselves to him. Truth matters, and church, we have to, as a church, be willing to have these conversations and not be afraid. And then second, we have to know who we are. There is so much built around politics and identity and, and who I vote for and how I see myself. But as a church, we have to understand what we represent and why we are here and what's at stake when we don't fulfill that, that mission. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and, and I want to turn there. This is kind of the heart of what I want us to look at. Paul's speaking to the Corinthian church, and he's He's giving them a vision, an idea of what it is we are to do and who it is that we are to be. And I love in verse 14 how he starts. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. When something controls you, it means you, you're surrendered. You're submitted. It's overwhelming you. It's overpowering you. This week or how you engage, are you overwhelmed by the love of Christ? It compels, it drives, it convicts. And Paul would go on to say, you know, I want you to know how deep and wide and long and high is the love of Christ and realize he was talking to Christians. Because when Christians are compelled by the love of God, God heals our land. God works. But when Christians abandon the love of God, the love of enemies, praying for those who persecuted the lifestyle of Jesus, we end up being a part of destroying 
that which God wants to do. We can be so out of line with the will of God. Why? Because we abandon the methods of God. And as a church, we have to evaluate what do we think is effective. You know, in 1 John, John addressing God's love said it this way, 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. How are we going to reveal the invisible God? John says the only way that people see him is when a diversity of people come together, unified around Jesus Christ and move out into the world, not just in doctrinal belief, but in a lifestyle of practice that surrenders ourselves to the best interest of others when the best interest of others we think is the wrong direction, even for our nation, for ourselves, or for the world. Not because we don't speak up and we don't say something, but ultimately we surrender ourselves to the way that God wants to work in the world and the way he has commanded us as his disciples that he would accomplish what he desires. John, Paul goes on in verse 14, for the love of Christ controlled us. Why? Because we have concluded this. Here's the evidence of God's love that one died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live might no longer live for ourselves. But for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16. Now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Meaning we don't judge people according to their political party. This person's worthy of love. This person is not. Why? Because see we used to regard Christ that way. We didn't see him as impressive. We didn't see him as strong. We didn't see him as someone that was affected. Instead, he goes on, even though we once regarded Christ in the flesh, we have seen who he is. We've seen what he's accomplished. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if we are in Christ, the old is gone. We are a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And this is from God who through Christ has reconciled us to himself, giving us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that ministry? What is that message? Verse 19. That is that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrust to us, to Bergen Park Church, the message of reconciliation. God did not give us what we deserved. There is not a day in our life, even before we trusted him, that God has given us what we deserve. He has given us what Jesus deserves. Through faith in the gospel, God has loved us as if we were Jesus himself, doing what Jesus did. And when we fail him and when we fall, he lifts us up because if we will simply confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, he forgives us. He says, Jason, you're still my son. You're still my daughter. You still have a spirit. Now go, speak for me, and live for me. What is the message we hold? It's the gospel. And when we move out into the world in a way that brings, that, that causes the gospel to be more difficult to receive, there is, there's something wrong. Not because we spoke up for truth. There are issues in our country we, we have to address. There is injustice. That injustice takes, takes the form of, a, of an unborn child 
There's injustice in racial divisions. There's injustice in poverty. There's injustice in what care a person can get or receive. There is injustice in our culture, and the church has to address those things, and the church has to stand for those things. But realize when the church stand for those, for stands for those things, we have to stand in a way that reflects Jesus and doesn't simply rely on the powers of the world or specifically the ways of the world to bring about the accomplishments that God desires. We have to stand for truth. This is not about caving or cowering, but this is about not only saying truth, but living the life of Jesus. We want the power of Jesus without his lifestyle. We want the results of Jesus without actually bowing our knee to him and humbling ourselves before him and honestly allowing God to examine our hearts and to criticize the way that we move into the world, we have to begin to allow the banner that Jesus is Lord to be greater than our own desires. Why? Because the message of reconciliation, that God will not count your sins against you, but through faith in Jesus Christ, you can be adopted as a son or a daughter of God. That's too good news. That's the message that we hold. And so he tells us, who are we? Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So we implore you, world, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We implore you, world, on behalf of Christ. We bring that message out into the world. Listen, the Holy Spirit's going to use it. You move out this Monday into your office place and you're going to face some objections. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Yeah, I've seen what Christ looks like. No, thank you. And if that's Jesus, and if that's what Jesus' people do, and understand, I, I'm... I'm not saying that's exactly what happened. That's the optics of what happened. When there are banners and there are signs, and there's nothing wrong with being at a political rally, there's nothing wrong with supporting a political candidate, but when you put the name of Jesus alongside that candidate, you do damage to that name. And we have a message as ambassadors that we don't change. When the president sits down with his ambassador, who is an ambassador... 24-7, 365 days a year, except when he's maybe in his bed at night, he can say what he wants. He doesn't get to change the message. Instead, he represents the king. He represents the message, he represents the method, and he represents the character, and he doesn't get to change any one of these. We don't change the message we don't change the reality that we are sinners in need of the grace of God and that Jesus Christ died. We stand for that. And that through his resurrection life, we can have new life through Christ that changes us and allows us to be salt and light into the world. That's the message of the gospel. We don't change the message. We stand on the word of God. But realize with the message comes the method. What's the method of Jesus? It was the method of Paul. It was the method of Peter. It was the method of the early church. It has to continue to be the method today. That Paul said, you know, Jesus, 
I'm looking out into the world and I see the power of the Spirit. It's not making the impact. I want to change the game plan. You know what God said to him? My strength, Peter, uh, Paul, it's going to be perfected in your weakness. You feel weak to change the world? Great. I finally got you. That's exactly where I want you to be. When we walk out in pride, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. When we are compelled by the love of God, God moves. You may not see it. And realize, church, church, realize, and you may be persecuted. It may not work out well. Are we going to abandon the ways of God simply because they didn't work? When you look at the life of Jesus and his death and resurrection, you would have said, that's not going to work. That's not going to work, Jesus. Don't die. And on that Saturday afternoon, you would have thought it's over. It's, it's failed. But when we are willing to die to ourselves and live for God, God brings about a power and a resurrection that the world cannot contain. And we are trying to contain that change. Church, we have to allow the methods and the character and the message of Jesus. And we have to be careful what we associate it with. Not saying we don't vote, not saying that your vote would even have changed, but how we engaged into the world, it has to be a way that reflects Jesus. And then finally, and lastly, we have to address the idols that blind our vision. You know, after an event like this, you know, when I'm angry and I'm frustrated, you, that's kind of a warning sign for me. It means that there's an idol that's possessing my mind and my heart and my emotions, and it's blinding my, my vision. And you know what Jesus said? Every time you're, you see something like that, and you're saddened and you're angry, you know what you need to do? Don't go on Facebook. I made that mistake. Don't read Twitter. There's a plank. Jason, I want you to look at. This event is here to change you so that you might look at this event and surrender it to me and see when you begin to do that, you know what God's doing? He's making you the kind of person that can make a difference in the world. We have to address the plank in our own eye. And see, that's what an idol is. An idol simply blocks our vision. In Ezekiel, I want to turn to this passage. We'll We'll kind of wrap up with this, but in Ezekiel chapter 14, the nation of Israel was seeking God. Like, God, there's challenges in our land. You don't realize the kind of influence, socialism, communism that we're facing. Things are bad. We've got to take control. We've got to move. We've got to align ourselves with the powers of the world. And so they continue to go to the prophet, and this is how God responded to the elders of the nation when they came to the prophet, Ezekiel 14, verse 1. And then certain elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, these men have taken their idols in their hearts. And notice, and set stumbling blocks of iniquity before their faces, meaning they can't see. And understand, who are they seeking? God. Who do they think they represent? God. What's the problem? There's an idol in their heart. An idol is anything you look to to give you what only God can give. Idols are good things, guys. They can be great things. They can be my wife. 
Often they're my children. I want my kids to be successful. I want them to do well. But even if they don't do well, God is still good. An idol is anything you look to to give you what only God can give. And here these elders come, and yet yet their faces are blocked. Verse 3, should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Meaning, should I I speak to them? Therefore, verse 4, speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, anyone of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart, what happens? He sets a stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to the prophet I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols. He's saying, as we come to God with our idols, and we're saying, God, what do we do? You know what he's going to do? He's not going to say anything until we address that which is in our heart. He's going to say, I want you to examine what you're trusting in other than me, notice the conclusion, verse 5, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are estranged from me through their idols. He says what happens is when we trust in something other than God, and that can be good things, political parties, political agendas, our nation, to give us what only God can give, what begins to happen is a hand blocks the vision of what you see. You know, and over time, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the eyes adjust, the brain adjusts. When you have something before your face long enough, you stop seeing it and you think it's reality. And you think it's right. You know, the hardest thing as a pastor is when I address something that you have heard a thousand times, your first reaction is, oh, that's not true. Nope, that's not right. He must be a liberal. He must be one of those guys. He must be one of those people. He doesn't believe the word of God. Every time an idol gets confronted, your first reaction is to say, wait a minute. No, that's not right. That's not true. Why were the prophets killed? The prophets wouldn't stop talking about the people's idols. And church, the reality is we listen. And what we listen to informs our heart and it directs the way we see God and it directs what we think is most effective in the world. And as long as we have something before our eyes that we think God endorses and he supports, the result is we don't see God clearly and we move out into a world and we don't reflect the character of God, the message of God, the methods of God. What's the solution? We have to allow God to examine our hearts, which means every time something happens, what do you do? Do you just respond? Ah, just those Antifa guys, right? We just quickly take some truth. We've got to find something to protect our storyline. And listen, whether that's true or not, let history play it out. You don't have to respond in the moment to protect something. You are a seeker of the truth, and you represent a God who is truth. What we have to do is say, Father, I need to examine the plank in my eye. I need to address my own life. I need to respond to what's happening so that I move out into the world in a way that allows me to address the speck in my brother's eye. Jesus said two things that matter. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And not only to love your neighbor as yourself, but to love your neighbor as Jesus loved you. What did it take for Jesus to get the speck out? Are you willing to do that for the world? 
And what I hear the church so often saying is no. It doesn't work. Revolutions work. Guns work. There is a time for violence. This ain't the time. There's a time for revolution. This ain't the time. This is a time for the church to humble themselves before the Lord and seek his face. And not just listen to those who fit our stories. Church, listen to the multitude of pastors who are speaking to congregations and they don't say exactly the same thing. I think we listen to some person so much that we think this is exactly how all Christians believe. And, and as I, what was so hard this week and, and, and investigating and wondering how am I gonna respond is just how diverse the response is. And as I stand here this morning, again, I don't stand here saying that I got it all together. But I'm saying to us as a church, are we willing just to stand under the banner of the Lordship of Jesus Christ and humble ourselves? And then, church, are we willing to take the anger of the world? Because they're angry. They saw what happened, and they're associating that with us. Whether we, whether, whether we want it or not, are we willing to walk in humility when the world says, no, you've done this? And are we willing to take Jesus seriously? To take the Sermon on the Mount seriously and respond to those accusations, to respond to that hatred in a way that glorifies God. How? By every time those moments come, we walk through the cross and the resurrection. We die to ourselves. And we live to God. Church, this is our moment. We don't agree on all things, but I love you. We love one another through the power of Christ. And, and together, as we move out into evergreen, evergreen, they need to see Jesus. And we need to see Jesus. And we are a better Jesus when we humble ourselves before him and raise no banner above the Lordship of Christ. Father, I'd ask, in Jesus' name, Lord, you know this week and these nights I have not slept. My heart has raised I have been afraid more by the approval of men. And yet, Lord, we want to glorify and honor you. This Sunday is not about condemnation. It's not about accusation. It's about examination. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to say, stir in us, Father, that which is true and noble and good and right and just. And may we surrender to the methods and the ways of Jesus Christ, the ways that Paul lived and Peter lived and the church lived and that which flourished and brought this small community that was so oppressed under violence and hatred and anger and immorality and brought life in the darkness and light in the darkness and life to that which had, had grown cold. Father, renew that spirit within us. Father, all we can do is call upon the name of Jesus. It's you, Lord, who renews us and strengthens us. We, Father, forgive us for the ways we have misrepresented you. Lord, I know my, in my brokenness and anger, my sin is all but apparent. And yet you continue to use us. Help us, Father, as the body of Christ to be those who reveal the Father as you've revealed the Father to us. We love you, in Jesus' name. Amen.